Chapter Fifteen of Ward Number Six by Anton Chekhov, translated by Constance Garnett, eighteen sixty one to nineteen forty six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Fifteen. Andrey Yefimitch now lodged in a little house with three windows. There were only three rooms besides the kitchen in the little house. The doctor lived in two of them, which looked into the street while Daryushka and the landlady with her three children lived in the third room in the kitchen. Sometimes the landlady's lover, a drunken peasant, who was rowdy and reduced the children and Daryushka to terror, would come for the night. When he arrived and established himself in the kitchen and demanded vodka, they all felt very uncomfortable, and the doctor would be moved by pity to take the crying children into his room and let them lie on his floor, and this gave him great satisfaction. He got up as before at eight o'clock, and after his morning tea sat down to read his old books and magazines. He had no money for new ones. Either because the books were old, or perhaps because of the change in his surroundings, reading exhausted him and did not grip his attention as before. That he might not spend his time in idleness, he made a detailed catalogue of his books, and gummed little labels on their backs, and this mechanical, tedious work seemed to him more interesting than reading. The monotonous, tedious work lulled his thoughts to sleep in some unaccountable way, and the time passed quickly while he thought of nothing. Even sitting in the kitchen, peeling potatoes with Daryushka or picking over the buckwheat grain, seemed to him interesting. On Saturdays and Sundays he went to church. Standing near the wall and half-closing his eyes, he listened to the singing and thought of his father, of his mother, of the university, of the religions of the world. He felt calm and melancholy, and as he went out of the church afterwards, he regretted that the service was so soon over. He went twice to the hospital to talk to Ivan Dmitritch, but on both occasions Ivan Dmitritch was unusually excited and ill-humoured. He bade the doctor leave him in peace, as he had long been sick of empty chatter, and declared to make up for all his sufferings, he asked from the damned scoundrels only one favour, solitary confinement surely they would not refuse him even that on both occasions when andrey yefimitch was taking leave of him and wishing him good-night he answered rudely and said go to hell and andrey yefimitch did not know now whether to go to him for the third time or not he longed to go in old days andrey yefimitch used to walk about his rooms and think in the interval after dinner but now from dinner-time till evening tea he lay on the sofa with his face to the back and gave himself up to trivial thoughts which he could not struggle against. He was mortified that after more than twenty years of service he had been given neither a pension nor any assistance. It is true that he had not done his work honestly, but then all who are in the service get a pension without distinction, whether they are honest or not. Contemporary justice lies precisely in the bestowal of grades, orders, and pensions, not for moral qualities or capacities, but for service whatever it may have been like why was he alone to be an exception he had no money at all he was ashamed to pass by the shop and look at the woman who owned it he owed thirty-two roubles for beer already there was money owing to the landlady also daryushka sold old clothes and books on the sly and told lies to the landlady saying that the doctor was just going to receive a large sum of money he was angry with himself for having wasted on travelling the thousand roubles he had saved up. How useful that thousand roubles would have been now! He was vexed that people would not leave him in peace. 
Hobotov thought it his duty to look in on his sick colleague from time to time. Everything about him was revolting to Andrey Yefimitch. His well-fed face and vulgar condescending tone and his use of the word colleague and his high top boots. The most revolting thing was that he thought it was his duty to treat Andrey Yefimitch and thought that he really was treating him. On every visit he brought a bottle of bromide and rhubarb pills. Mikhail Avryanitch, too, thought it his duty to visit his friend and entertain him. Every time he went in to Andrey Yefimitch with an affectation of ease, laughed constrainedly, and began assuring him that he was looking very well today, and that, thank God, he was on the high road to recovery. And from this it might be concluded that he looked on his friend's condition as hopeless. He had not yet repaid his Warsaw debt and was overwhelmed by shame. He was constrained and so tried to laugh louder and talk more amusingly. His anecdotes and descriptions seemed endless now and were an agony both to Andrey Yefimitch and himself. In his presence, Andrey Yefimitch usually lay on the sofa with his face to the wall and listened with his teeth clenched. His soul was oppressed with rankling disgust, and after every visit from his friend he felt as though this disgust had risen higher and was mounting into his throat. To stifle petty thoughts he made haste to reflect that he himself and Hobotov and Mikhail Avryanitch would all sooner or later perish without leaving any trace on the world. If one imagines some spirit flying by the earthly globe in space in a million years, he would see nothing but clay and bare rocks. Everything, culture and the moral law, would pass away and not even a burdock would grow out of them. Of what consequence was shame in the presence of a shopkeeper? Of what consequence was the insignificant Hobotov or the wearisome friendship of Mikhail Avryanitch? It was all trivial and nonsensical. But such reflections did not help him now. Scarcely had he imagined the earthly globe in a million years when Hobotov in his high top boots or Mikhail Avryanitch with his forced laugh would appear from behind a bare rock and he even heard the shame-faced whisper, the Warsaw debt. I will repay it in a day or two, my dear fellow, without fail. End of chapter 15 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine